Welcome back to Brojo Online. Today we're going to be talking about the value of acceptance, which for me personally is the hardest value to live by. So we're going to talk about what it means to have acceptance, what it means to lack it, and how to bridge that divide. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. Pretty much every philosophy I've ever looked at tries to answer a certain question. And the question is, why don't we accept reality? Why do we struggle against it? Why do we battle the truth? In Stoicism, they talk about the dog being pulled behind the cart. They talk about life being like a cart that's rolling along, and there's nothing you can do about that. And we're like dogs that are tied to the cart. Now, we can either run alongside the cart, which in Stoicism terms means living in accordance with nature. We can go with reality. Or we can fight against it, in which case we just get dragged along behind the cart, and we suffer immensely. In Buddhism, you know, there's the famous quote by the Buddha, Life is suffering. We should take joy in the suffering of the world, participate joyfully in the suffering of the world. There's this idea that, yeah, life sucks, basically. It hurts. There's nothing we can do about it, but we can participate as best as possible within that scenario. Eckhart Tolle says stress is being here when you want to be there. This idea of wanting something that is different to what is, is what causes our suffering. And letting go of that thing is what relieves the suffering. In my own personal philosophy, I use the metaphor of being tied to a chair. If you imagine your whole body tied to a chair, now you can sit there calmly, relaxed, and watch what's going on, observe the world. Or you can thrash in the chair. Now, either way, you stay in the chair, but in the first case, you can enjoy life serenely. In the second case, you're in pain because you're thrashing around. But thrashing does nothing to get you out of the chair because you can't get out of the chair. So all of these kind of philosophical perspectives have the same idea in mind. Acceptance is being aligned with what is real. And to lack acceptance, whatever that word is, is to struggle against what is real. To fail to acknowledge it, to actively thrash against it, to fight it, to wish for something else. Whether it's mental or behavioral or emotional or spiritual, you're either aligned with what's real or you're not. And we're going to talk a bit about why it is we spend so much time not being aligned with it when there's clearly no benefit in doing so. There's really no benefit in refusing to accept reality, as far as I can see. But maybe there is. We'll have a look at it today. There's three words I kind of use as a mantra, I guess, or should use as a mantra more often, maybe is a better way of putting it. Here, now, and yours. Here, now, and yours. See, acceptance is a form of presence. It's about only dealing with what is real and what is under your control, and everything else is let go. But what is real is here and now. So in this place, at this time, is the only thing that exists. You know, the past and the future are just illusions inside your mind. They do not exist. Here and now does. And yours is about what you can control, which is almost entirely just your behavior. You can't do much about the thoughts that pop into your mind. There's not a lot you can do about your emotions, though you can react to them in a helpful way with behavior. So essentially, here, now, and yours means dealing with what's in front of you at this time by managing your behavior. 
anything outside of that definition either doesn't exist or it's beyond your control. So anything outside of here is out of your control. So there, somebody else, another situation with variables that aren't yours to control, that's out of your control. Anything that's outside of now, the past or the future, doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, it's inaccessible. Maybe there is a timeline that can be viewed, but because of the arrow of time, because of the laws of physics, we can only ever be now in any conscious way. And yours. So you can control yourself to some extent, but you can do very little to control others. Or other situations, like the weather, variables that are beyond your body. Now, of course, you can have minor influence on people and things, and that gives us the illusion that we can control them, but ultimately, if something decides to resist against us, there's really nothing we can do about that resistance. Look at Adolf Hitler, for example. That's somebody who tried to control everything, and it just didn't work out for him. It worked out for a little while, but in the end, he just couldn't control all the variables. He couldn't even control his own behavior in the very end. So, there's this idea here, now, and yours. Anything outside of that is beyond your control or doesn't even exist. There's basically no point in putting any effort towards something that's beyond your control or something that doesn't exist. And yet we do so all the time, don't we? We put so much energy, mentally and physically, into things that don't exist or things we can't control. And every time we're doing that, we're sacrificing valuable resources of time and energy and effort that could be used for things we can control and things that are real. So it's a weird thing that we do. We can say rationally, of course it's pointless to try and control something that you can't control. Of course it's pointless to put energy into something that doesn't exist. And yet we constantly do exactly that. And I think one of the main reasons we do it is a lack of awareness. We don't really realize we're doing it. We don't know that we're doing it. We might uh, be trying to control something because we think we can control it like worrying about the future and thinking that that will somehow make the future better. We're trying to control something that doesn't exist because we think it does exist, like we're regressing the past and thinking that that will somehow redeem us, even though the past is done and dusted, and there is no evidence that the past even exists. So there's this kind of illusion that we're under that we can control things that aren't ours to control, like other people's behavior. Or even people who believe in law of attraction believe they can control like the physical universe, the weather and possession of materials and so on. Or, you know, we believe that things that don't exist are real. Like the future or our imaginations, our fears. When all these things are just illusions and, you know, fictions. Sometimes they come true and that's probably why we think that they're real. But that's a coincidence. That something you imagine ends up being true is purely coincidental because you imagine thousands of things every day that never come true. So the truth rate of your imaginations is very low percentage, isn't it? The things you imagine are very, very, very unlikely to be exactly true. But you only remember the ones where you kind of got it almost right. You think that you're good at predicting things. And we all do this. I say you, but I mean we. We all do this. I do it as well. And it doesn't help. You know, I've racked my brain as I kind of wrote the notes for this episode, trying to think of, is there any benefit in trying to control something you can't control instead of controlling what you can control, your behavior? And is there any benefit in trying to influence something that doesn't exist instead of trying to influence something that does exist? 
And for the life of me, I can't think of any benefits in doing so. There's only suffering. Pointless suffering. The only benefit is learning not to do it, which isn't really a benefit at all. So I'm going to move forward on the assumption that acceptance is infinitely superior to lacking acceptance. It's better to be here now and focused on what's yours than it is to be anywhere else, to be away from here, to be away from now, and to focus on what's not yours to control. If you disagree with me, please comment below or provide me with some insight that I've missed as to why it would be better to control things you can't control or to focus on things that aren't real. But ultimately, I think the reason we keep doing this very pointless and harmful behavior or mental exercise of lacking acceptance is because we don't realize that we're doing it. And if we realize that we're doing it, we'd do it a whole lot less. If we catch ourselves in the act of lacking acceptance, we can at least try to switch to acceptance. And acceptance, we might not be able to switch to it in an emotional way. We might not be able to force ourselves to genuinely accept something. But maybe in a behavioral way, we can adjust to what's real and work with what we've got rather than clinging to something and wasting time and not acting on what's real. So I want to start by having a look at how to know when you're lacking acceptance. Because we actually have a whole range of emotions designed solely, I think, to warn us that we're lacking acceptance. There's a whole range of emotions that only come up basically to say, hey, you're focused on the wrong thing. The first one, I think probably the most obvious one in terms of retrospect, is disappointment. Now, disappointment is the outcome of an equation, and the equation is expectation plus reality, or expectation minus reality, I should say. So when reality is less than expectation, the resulting feeling is disappointment. You wanted A, but you only got B. And disappointment can only occur, it can only occur if you wanted something that does not match reality. You wanted something that doesn't exist. So let's say I expect you to return my car that you borrowed with a full tank of gas and it comes back with a half tank of gas and I feel disappointed in you, what it shows is that I wanted a full tank of gas but that doesn't exist. Only the half tank exists. I wanted you to be a person who was thoughtful enough to fill up the tank but he doesn't exist. You're a person who just leaves the tank half full. That's who is real. That's what is real. So my disappointment comes from imagining this fantasy world of this thoughtful person who fills up the tank after they borrowed the car, clinging to that fantasy, and then being hurt when reality goes, nope, that ain't it. And you see, disappointment is not objective. If I was like, look, they'll just return the car in whatever state they choose to return it in, and they'll just be whoever they are, a half tank of gas doesn't bother me. There's no disappointment. There's no pain. The half tank of gas is not inherently harmful. It doesn't hurt anyone. The only thing that hurts me is wanting more than reality, wanting more than half a tank of gas. And I want you to just take a moment to think about the last time you were disappointed, how what you wanted and expected so far exceeded what was real. And yet what was real was probably okay. If you'd been prepared for what was real, if you had expected what was real, you wouldn't have been hurt by it. I mean, there are some things that are inherently harmful, like Shooting someone in the kneecap, doesn't matter whether you expect it or not, that's going to suck. 
it's always going to hurt. But say somebody breaking your privacy, someone sharing a secret, if you were prepared for them to share that secret and you expected them to, it hurts a whole lot less than if you didn't, if you trusted them. If they disappoint you, that's like additional pain. But them just sharing the secret or them returning the car with a half tank of gas or them not doing the dishes like they promised, none of those things actually do you any measurable harm. Ten years from now, there'll be no evidence that that even occurred. There's no scars. There's no loss of anything major there. So you'll feel that your disappointment is reasonable because you'll think that your expectation was reasonable. You think, I should be disappointed in them because they should have blah, blah, blah. And yet you're the one who's wrong. Because reality is what it is. It, it doesn't give a shit about what you wanted or expected. In fact, that same reality would exceed someone else's expectations because it's all subjective. Like you might expect someone to come back with a full tank of gas and be disappointed when they didn't. But imagine you lived a life of people like constantly stealing from you. So you expect them to never bring the car back at all. And then they come back and it's got a half tank of gas. You'd be blown away. But holy fuck, this is a good person. And yet the same thing is happening. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed objectively with this car being returned. It's just your perspective. Disappointment can only occur if you wanted more than reality. And think of it. Is there really a better definition of insanity than wanting something that is not real? Right? That is crazy. It is crazy to want something that doesn't exist. And yet if you're disappointed, that's exactly what you're doing. You're kind of in a temporary insanity when you're disappointed. You've lost control of your mind. You've lost track of reality. Because you're wanting something that isn't. Now it seems really reasonable to feel that way when it's happening. And yet when you step back and look at it, it is a completely insane perspective of the world. To want something that isn't. Now, it's okay to expect something that isn't and then be shocked, but to continue expecting it after the proof has arrived, that's the true insanity. To not adjust to reality. You might think, oh, he should bring back the car with a full tank of gas. And that's fine when you go, oh, he didn't. That little bit of disappointment is just the kind of realization, oh, I wanted more than what was real. But then to go, oh, you should have bought it. I can't believe you didn't bring the whole thing. You're such a bastard. You're still clinging to a thing. Now it's clearly insanity. He's like, dude, have a look at the gas gauge. There is no full tank of gas. What are you complaining about? This thing that, that you want doesn't exist. You're wishing for Santa Claus, the tooth fairy. You're wishing that you could fly like Superman. You're wishing for the impossible. So why do you keep wishing for it now that it's been like absolutely disproven? Debunked completely. Why would you keep wanting something that so obviously doesn't exist? Or why would you keep trying to get it? So disappointment, I think, is one of the key elements that show that you expected something more than reality and you're not letting go of the fact that you were wrong. Frustration and anger. I think frustration and anger is really kind of another form of disappointment, isn't it? It's, it's got to be pretty close to it. It's just got a different heat to it. Disappointment's kind of like a downer feeling, whereas anger, I think frustration is more of an upper feeling. It's more of a hot, pushy feeling rather than a deflated feeling. But it's the same thing. You're starting to rage against reality. And when I think of anger as like my metaphor of thrashing in the chair that you're tied to. It's that burning feeling of thrashing against something that's real. I don't believe that anger itself is unhealthy. 
I think it's a powerful force, and it's actually one of the ones that you can use to kind of move things that are at least somewhat under your influence, something that can sort of be controlled. But continuing sustained anger and outrage usually shows that you've now been shown that you can't control this thing and you're still trying to. Okay, You're still pushing against the unmovable block at this point. And I think that might be a key sort of definition difference between anger and frustration. Anger is the initial burst you get of kind of like, okay, something's crossed the line, I need to solve this problem. Here's a bit of courage and a passion to do that. You know, that's essentially what pure anger is, just courage and passion. And frustration is five minutes later when you're still pushing against this fucking thing and it hasn't moved. And you're now, again, you're in that kind of insanity. You're trying to do something that can't be done. Your frustration tells you it can't be done. Disappointment's a much more clear case because the thing is done already. Whereas frustration, it might be you just need to push a little bit more and then you're through. But frustration doesn't mean that you're necessarily putting your effort in the right area. Let's say, for example, I get frustrated that I'm stuck in traffic. Now, I could try googling a better route and get off at the next exit and work my way around the traffic and save a few minutes, maybe. Like, there's some problem solving that is available to me here, but I can't control the traffic. I can get around it. I can try to avoid it, but the traffic's not going fucking anywhere. The traffic doesn't give a shit about me and what I want. So if I'm just sitting in the traffic, and there is no alternative option but to sit in it, and I'm still frustrated, that means I'm really clinging to the fantasy of being able to solve this problem, and yet it's clearly unsolvable. I think we get, we're get we a frustrated generation a lot these days because we got told when we were younger that we could do anything and be anything. And that was a fucking lie. <laughs> it's a ridiculous lie. I mean, of course, you can try to do anything. You can try to be anything. And there's a lot you can do. It doesn't matter who you are. Your potential is far beyond what you think it is. But there can only be one president. So not everyone who wants to do it is going to get that. And no matter how quickly you want to get to work, if there's traffic, you ain't getting there quickly. I don't care who you are. Right? Until you've got a flying car or you can afford a helicopter, you're not getting there quickly. There are certain things that are out of your control. In fact, there's a shitload of things that are out of your control. There are people who can take things away from you and you can't do anything about it. A lot of your life is its outside of your realm of power. And frustration is when you're sitting there trying to control something that's not yours to control. You're not allowed. It's taken away from you. And you're just thrashing against it. And we don't realize this because of that kind of that red curtain of rage you know when the anger sets in it starts kind of directing our behavior we lose track of the fact that hey i've been feeling this way for quite some time now and yet this problem's not getting any better maybe i'm wasting my time maybe i'm fighting something that isn't worth the fight maybe i need to surrender here a lot of us have shame i think we get it from school around quitting and failure and yet quitting is a totally healthy practice if you're doing Something that you can't control. It makes total sense to quit anything that you can't control. It, it makes no sense to continue doing something you can't control. So quitting is a very helpful, healthy behavior when done at the right time. Now quitting when you're trying to control something you can control and should control, that's not good. 
But yes, you should quit trying to control the traffic, and quit trying to control the weather, and quit trying to control your partner, and quit trying to make people like you. Because those things aren't yours to control. You can have a slight influence on them, maybe. But you're like one variable in billions, so your influence is so minimal, it basically doesn't exist. Like I could go outside and flap a big piece of carpet and do some slight changes to wind, but ultimately the weather is just unaffected by me. And when you try to control another person, it's very similar, like the billions of variables that made them who they are decide most of what they're going to do next. Your influence right here and now is so minimal compared to all those billions of variables. You might be able to delude yourself into thinking you've changed their behavior, but odds are they were going to do that anyway because of the way they're wired. So you, you got a, the frustration with someone not moving or things not changing the way you want them to. Once it continues for a certain amount of time, you've got to know you're living in fucking fairyland. You're trying to do something that can't be done and should not be done. It's a waste of your time. Like if I'm sitting in traffic, I can sit there banging the steering wheel and swearing and getting really mad that I'm stuck in traffic. Or I could redirect that energy into flicking through my phone, finding a good podcast, listening to it, taking notes, learning some shit. Either way, I'm stuck in the car. Right? Stuck in the car is set in stone. That is definitely happening unless I do something crazy like abandon my car on the motorway. But whether or not I sit there raging or educating myself, that is under my control. And you'll notice when you're frustrated, you kind of miss out those opportunities of doing what you could do. Being stuck in places and not moving the way you want to is a really common example. Being stuck in a queue, raging, like, oh god, why is this taking so long? Missing the opportunity to talk to the person in front of you or the person behind you and maybe make a new friend. So you're stuck in the queue either way, but you can end this with having a new friend or not. That's actually under your control. But you miss it when you're frustrated with being in the queue. You miss the fact that, hey, I've been frustrated for a long time. And this thing is clearly something I can't control trying to solve this problem. I can't do everything. I can't be anybody. I have a limited range of what I can do and can be, and I should be focused on that. Maybe I can expand that range, but not while I'm sitting here pushing against an unmovable block. It's a waste of fucking time. If anything should make you angry, it should be your time wasting being frustrated. Regret. Regret's another classic emotion that shows lack of acceptance. Regret is failing to accept the past. Which in other words, is focused on something that no longer exists, the past, and being mad that you can't control it, even though it doesn't exist. I don't know if that's more a definition of insanity than disappointment, but they're both pretty fucking insane. Name one person who's changed the past. Go ahead, take as long as you want. A single human being who has changed the past. Can't think of anyone? No. So do you think you're going to be the first? Probably not. And yet how much time do you expend sitting in regret? Because regret is essentially the emotional sensation that comes from trying to change the past. You're either accepting the past or you're wishing it was different, which is a, the beginning of the attempt to change it. You're trying to think about it in some way that will make it less painful or less shameful, less embarrassing. Less uh, whatever. And all of that is it's kind of an attempt to control the past with your mind. So now you're also trying to be psychic. Or psychokinetic, whatever the word is for trying to move things with your mind. You're trying to move something with your mind that doesn't even exist and can't be controlled. 
doesn't seem like the best use of your resources, does it? Now, of course, nobody really chooses to be regretful. It just occurs to us. But we sit in it, don't we? Like a bath of filthy, sweaty water. We just bathe in it. We know we're sitting in it. We go, fuck, I'm regretting the past. And then we do nothing about it. Just go, better keep on dwelling. What else did I do wrong? What else was unfair? How shitty was my life? What else can I find to dwell on and regret? Instead of going, you know what? I am wasting my fucking time right now. The past is done. That shit is carved in concrete, locked away in a vault. I'm never getting to it. But there's lessons to be learned there. The reason I regret certain things is because I behaved in a way that I now think is bad or because things happened to me that I now find painful to remember. So what am I going to do about that? Here and now with what's mine. So you can come back from regret to go, okay, here, now, with what's under my control, what can I do about what I regret? If the answer is nothing, then you close the chapter. It's done. I learned my lesson. Classic example for me with regret, one of the biggest journeys that took place over the last couple of years, was forgiving myself for being a nice guy people pleaser. I used to regret all the missed opportunities, especially with women, but also just with standing up for myself, and I found my coaching career, but I could have found it maybe a lot earlier if I wasn't such a people pleaser. I had those kind of thoughts. Do you know what I can do about me being a people pleaser in the past? Nothing. I can't do shit about it. It's done. Years of it, all locked away in the history books of people's minds and so on. I couldn't erase that in any way. But I can learn from it. I made a career out of helping other people who are making those same mistakes. I've learned it, I've used it to kind of leverage confidence, to find out, well, being the opposite of that is confident. I use it as like an accountability measure. Check that I'm not relapsing into those behaviors. Check that my behavior now is a marked improvement on that. So that's what I can do with here and now and what's mine. But me being a guy, that guy in the past, he, he will always exist. He's not going anywhere. He's locked in. I can wish to be a different guy, but it, it doesn't make a difference. It's just thrashing in the chair. It's just fighting against the cart that's pulling me along. Cart of time. In a similar way, we get worry and anxiety, which is future-focused essentially an attempt to control the future or to dwell on the fact that you can't control it. And what it always means when you're worried or anxious, panicking about what happens next or later, is that you're not here, you're not now, and you're certainly not focused on what you can control. And people think worrying is like a form of planning. Like the more I worry about something, the more I reduce the risk or the harm that it will cause. And yet is that true? Have you actually found that to be accurate? Has worrying ever really helped you in any significant way? Particularly, has it helped you more than doing with what you can with here and now? Has worrying ever been a more productive use of your energy and resources than focusing on here and now and doing what you can control? It's worth asking yourself because you might think, oh, it's obvious, of course, worrying isn't helpful. Well, then why do you choose to do so much of it? if it's not? Why do you worry about your finances so much? Why do you worry about whether or not people like you so much? Why do you worry about putting on weight so much? If worrying hasn't helped you, why do you choose to expend so much energy and time? 
Do you blame your anxiety for it? Do you think the anxiety makes you worry? Or are you bathing, just like with regret? Are you getting into that worry bath and just marinating in it? In Stoicism, the, the first thing they talk about is kind of the initial emotion that happens to you is beyond your control. Your first bit of regret or shock or worry, it comes on you and you didn't even see it coming. You can't be held to account for just having an emotion occur to you. But it's what happens next that makes the big difference. Because there's the people who start worrying and then keep worrying as a choice. They worry about worrying. They kind of allow themselves to get into their bath and start marinating. Or there's people who catch themselves and go, ah, fuck, I'm doing it again. It's pointless. There's things here and now that I can control. What are those things? How do I redirect my behavior towards those? And kind of pull themselves out of the future. Time travel back to now and deal with what's in front of them. Because there's really there's nothing stopping you. Anxiety doesn't make you stay in the future in your mind. It's standing still and worrying that makes you stay in the future. You can have anxiety and still deal with the problems in front of you. The here and now problems that you can control. The anxiety doesn't stop you doing that. Don't blame your fear for your worrying. Worrying is choosing to bathe. Right? Anxiety, fear, these things occur to you. It can't be helped. But how you react to them can be. And acceptance would be going, okay, get your head out of the future. What's in front of you right here and now that you can control? What's a good productive thing I can do right here, right now, with my current resources? There's always an answer to that question. Shit, you can just drop and do 10 push-ups at almost any time. And it's more productive than worrying, isn't it? Another one similar to worrying is daydreaming and fantasizing. Daydreaming and fantasizing is still future-focused, but it's much more positive, isn't it? It's about wishing for a life that doesn't exist, but it's a better life. Think about scenarios that have never happened, or at least are not happening right now. It's like reminiscing, going back into the past, reliving pleasurable moments. And again, there's nothing inherently bad about doing either of these things. Reminiscing of your past memories, or you know, dreaming of a better future, but is it better to do that than to focus on here, now, and yours? That's the real question. Sometimes sitting back reminiscing with your friends is actually a form of socializing here and now, so it's both present and past at the same time. There's really no failure of acceptance there. In fact, you're kind of indulging in the acceptance. It's like when you laugh over something that was painful for you in the past. That's a great form of acceptance. You're saying, you know, I accept it now. It's it's done, it's dusted, you know, I was a silly boy, or I can't believe I fucking had that massive car accident, how unlucky am I, you know? But it's a kind of, it's done, I'm okay with it, we can have a laugh about it now. That's acceptance. Daydreaming, fantasizing about the future. That generally means you're not happy with now. And it's okay to not be happy with now. There's a lot of now times that you're going to find unpleasant. Life is generally more unpleasant than it is pleasant because of the human nature. We're generally a dissatisfied mammal. And that can't be helped. It's one of the things we need to accept. But every second spent daydreaming and fantasizing is a second not spent here. You're not present with your work and your friends and your body and, and reality. You're essentially missing out on life. It's kind of like being on standby. There's nothing happening in the circuit board. You're just waiting as time passes. I think we'd all be shocked if there was some way of adding up how much time we've spent fantasizing. 
hours, weeks, months, years of our lives, when combined, that we weren't here and now doing something with our real life. I would hate to see that figure, because I think it's in the years category. I spent a lot of time fantasizing when I was younger. I don't just mean sexual fantasizing, but I fantasized about being a rock star. I fantasized about having conversations that went well. I fantasized about looking differently. I fantasized about just random things happening that were more interesting than what was happening. How many years have I spent in combination? Accumulated time just sitting still, eyes looking up to the left, and playing a movie inside my head while real life was right fucking in front of me, and I could have done something with it. Something good. I shudder to think, but that's just regret, isn't it? I'm just regretting now. What I can do is I hear myself say this. Is go, okay, next time I'm daydreaming, fucking snap out of it. Pull yourself back to here and now. Do something valuable with the present moment. Rather than just sitting there drifting like a piece of wood on the river. One last key sign I want to point out is in your language. There's certain pieces of language that prove you lack acceptance. And the key ones are the words should and could. Should or should have, shouldn't. They're either past or future tense, but they're never based on reality. You can't use the words should and shouldn't or should have, could have, couldn't without being fictional. You can't use those words to describe something that's real and evidenced. You can't say that this table should be made of wood when it really is made of wood. You just say the table's made of wood. But if the table's plastic and you say it should be made of wood, you're now in a fantasy world. There is no wooden table. So what the fuck are you talking about? There should be a wooden table when there isn't one? Might as well say elephants should fly. Or the sky should be green. Or all humans should be two inches tall. It's as ludicrous as saying any of that, to say should about anything. So you got to watch, when you use the word should, like he should have done that, or this shouldn't happen, or he could have tried to at least do that, or you, you're making stuff up. There is no, there's no reality there. You're not talking about anything that actually exists. And you're starting to set yourself up for lack of acceptance now. That's the language that is the vehicle towards lacking acceptance. When I say, it shouldn't rain on Saturday, oh, I'm setting myself up for a wet Saturday, aren't I? I'm setting myself up in two ways. If it doesn't rain on Saturday, I'm going to think I'm now good at predicting the weather, which isn't true. I just got lucky. And if it does rain on Saturday, I'm going to feel like the weather is unfair, which also isn't true because the weather is just weather. I decide whether or not I can, you know, make the most of it. So be careful with your language. Should, shouldn't, could have, couldn't have. These are lies. You can say, I wish for something else, but I wished you'd return the car full of gas, but you haven't. Hopefully you'll do it next time, but I can't control that either. And you can use language to bring yourself back to reality. I wanted A, but here is B. You know, they, they talk about that in school. You probably heard people say you shouldn't use the word but. I think it's a very powerful word when it's used in the right way. It's actually a shortened word for be out, as in get rid of. This is why you don't say it after a compliment. You don't say, oh, you're a good person, but blah, blah, blah. Because you're saying, you're a good person, now that's out. Throw that away, and here's what I really think. You can use the word but to control your focus on reality, though. So you can say, I wished it was, rain you know, I wished it was sunny, but it's raining. So therefore, it's raining. Be out, my fantasy about sunniness. And let's welcome in the rain, because that's 
the only thing to be welcomed. We're here now. What can we do on a rainy day rather than sitting there dwelling on the fantasy of a sunny day? So basically, you know you lack acceptance when anything about you indicates that what you want or believe in does not align with the evidence of reality. As soon as reality is contradictory to anything inside you, you're the one who's in the wrong. You're the one who's failing to accept it. You're the one that needs to move. If you're frustrated for a long period of time, if you're regretful, worrying, fantasizing, disappointed, you're the one who's out of whack. Reality's fine. Reality's always on track. Reality is never wrong. Okay, and when you can get on board with it, you'll find that most of the time, nearly all of the time, it's not actually painful. Rain doesn't hurt us. It only hurts us when we wanted the sun. It's just water. You have a shower every day and it's just water on your skin. Running in the rain is actually probably better for your cardiovascular health than running in the sun. So there's always a silver lining to reality if you can get on board with it. Being stuck in traffic sucks if you don't want to be stuck in traffic. But it's awesome if you consider it to be your time out for the day where you get to listen to podcasts. You know, you can actually get to a point where you look forward to traffic. When I used to have a massive commute to work, it was sucked. It was like 90 minutes each way. It used to just be this torture that I had to go through for three hours a day until I made it the time that I practiced singing. And then I'd kind of like take the long way to work so I could get, finish the song and so on. Suddenly traffic was something I kind of looked forward to. Or at least I made my peace with it. Because I found something to do that made it a worthwhile activity. I controlled what I could here and now. And you can do that with almost any situation. There's a few common disappointments that we have that I want to talk about. I know I have a lot of these. And I want to share some of them with you. Some of them will resonate, some of them won't. But it's worth just kind of talking about them specifically and directly because this is where a lot of our suffering lies. The first one is the funniest one, I guess. The human race is stupid and evil. This is one that bothered me for a lot of my life. You know, I, I worked with criminal offenders for many years, as some of you probably know. And there would be days where I'd just go home just exhausted with frustration at just how fucking bad people can be. How harmful and selfish and inconsiderate they are. And some of them are really evil. You know, Socrates and the Stoics believes that there's no such thing as evil, there's just ignorance or misalignment with reality. And it's one of the few things around Stoicism that I don't agree with, because I've met truly evil people. There are people who get pleasure from causing harm. They do know better, they just choose not to be better. They, this is their version of better. They like to be destructive. There's nothing they enjoy more than being sent to prison for ruining someone's life. Those people do exist. There's not many of them, but there's enough to do a lot of fucking damage. And that's just in the criminal world. You think of all the corporate greedy psychopaths and politicians that run half the world... And they never go to jail, but they enjoy inflicting harm just as much as any gang leader. And then there, of course, they're just the stupid people who do harm because they don't know better. They're people who are ignorant to the facts. They're people who are inconsiderate and self-centered and they don't realize they're harming people. Or they're so insecure and needy that they're willing to harm people to get what they want. And there's a lot of them, isn't there? And it's heartbreaking. When you face it and you just go, God... You meet people who are really intelligent and considerate and do a lot of good in the world, and they only hurt your feelings more because then you have to compare the rest of the human race to these angels 
and most of them don't stack up. Most people just drive through traffic to see what people are really like. Try to get into a lane in the last moment because you chose the wrong lane and see who lets you in. Because 9 out of 10 people will block you. And that's the kind of thing that's really hard for us to accept, that we see ourselves as good people and everybody else as mediocre through to evil. Of course, there's a couple of things we need to accept. One is, we ourselves are not as good as we think we are. I got a taste of this being a probation officer. It'd be funny, I'd be working with, say, a serial thief or a rapist, somebody does a lot of harm, and yet I would be the bane of their existence. You know, my stickiness for the rules and me being a white middle-class male and me being an authority figure and all that, I was their enemy. They hated me. I was the evil one in their world. And who's to say they're wrong? I certainly made their life fucking miserable sometimes. Made them follow rules that were arbitrary. Made them do programs they didn't want to do. Made them do lots of things they didn't want to do. So here I am judging them for being harmful and yet... I'm harming them as I judge them. Why is it okay that I harm them and not okay that they harm other people? Why am I the superior one? But think about how many times you're in a car and you flip someone off or bang your hand on the steering wheel for their poor driving and yet you've done the exact same thing. You're not quite the perfect driver you think you are. Most people are pretty awful drivers. You don't have to do much to get a driving license in pretty much every country in the world. Unless you're a Formula One driver or a rally car driver, you're probably not very good. You probably don't pay attention very well. You're probably selfish in the way you take up the road. You probably drive too fast or too slow. And yet you're angry at other people for doing the same thing. The human race isn't as intelligent as we like to think we are. We consider ourselves to be super awesome in terms of a dominant race or a dominant species on the planet. And yet, we're just really selfish. That's why we dominate so much. We consume more resources than we produce. We don't find an equilibrium with our environment. We're destroying our own home, essentially. This is not the act of an intelligent species. So for you to cling to the idea that humans are inherently good and intelligent is to miss out on the clear reality that a lot of the time we're not. While we have the capability for that, and we should certainly aim to promote it and increase it, we have to come to terms with the fact that most of us are kind of ticking by in a mediocre way, and we get in each other's way, and we're inconvenient, and inconsiderate, and self-centered. And it's okay. It won't hurt you as much if you can get on board with it. Especially when you can learn to appreciate the people who aren't like that, even if it's only for a brief moment before they go back to being like that. Goodness is probably more unlikely than likely, so you can appreciate goodness more if you're okay with it being unlikely. Rather than expecting everyone to be good, expect them not to be and be pleasantly surprised when they are. And when they cut in front of you in the queue, or they rage at you on the internet, or they cheat you or steal, just go, oh, that's what this particular species of primate tends to do. Because we do. There are good people in the world. And by that I mean people who genuinely and generally do helpful things and creative things and make the world a better place rather than a worse place because of their presence. Those people do exist. But the majority of us are either kind of neutral or tending towards destructive. And that's just the way the human race is. Until you can 
get okay with that. You don't have to like it. But if you go out expecting everyone to be good, you're going to be severely disappointed. Now, you can go out and expect that they have the potential for goodness. And that's much more realistic. I've seen even hardened criminals turn their lives around and become helpful members of society. It can be done. I think the potential of the human brain, unless it's severely damaged or ill, is capable of great change, that even the worst person can become the best person under the right circumstances. And of course, vice versa, great people can fall. But I don't expect them to change. I had to change myself, and that was utterly painful and exhausting. I've had to put myself through so many fearful, uncomfortable situations to change who I was even a little bit. To expect other people to want to do that is ludicrous. I was very driven and motivated, and I had a lot of support. Most people aren't. Most people don't. They aren't lucky enough to have the kind of innate ambition that I was given through my genetics, and they aren't lucky enough to have the support that I had around me. So for me to expect them to go through those same changes that I've been through, it's unfair of me to expect that. What's fair of me to expect is that they'll behave like humans, which is they'll generally try to take care of their own instant needs, and they'll be worried and insecure and focused on themselves. That doesn't make them bad, it just makes them normal. And if I focus in on that, I'm going to get depressed. But if I look instead at that as just being the normal way of things, and then enjoy the brief moments of sunlight that come from those people who are better than that, then I don't suffer. Bad people will do bad things more often than they do good things. That's it. To expect anything different is insane. I know I sound very judgmental saying good people and bad people. I don't like to talk shit. I would love to pretend that everyone's this neutral blank slate, but they're not. I've worked with bad and evil people. And you can track their behavior from the time they wake up, from the time they go to sleep. 70% of what they do is inconsiderate and selfish. About 20% of it is neutral and 10% of it is good. There are people like that and they're consistently like that day after day. Yes, they can change, but no, they mostly don't. And there are the opposite. There are people out there who very rarely slip from integrity. and are constantly looking to do something helpful and they do it. Those people, in my experience and my research, are far less likely to be. Most of the people you meet, they'll probably do neutral stuff most of the day and take care of their instant gratification needs as a primary priority, which means they'll kind of hurt others to please themselves if they have to. And then there are people pleasers who look like they're doing a lot of good, but it's actually very selfish and narcissistic. They're trying to control you. And there are some people who are just genuinely good by almost anyone's standards. But the point is, if you expect people to be good all the time, by your definition, you're only going to be disappointed. If you expect them to be just normal primates, trying to take care of their needs in an insecure way, like all the other primates, you won't be so disappointed. And you'll be able to be more accepting, like, oh, he cut me off in traffic, but that's just what people do. They're aggressive, and they're rushed, and they're angry, and... That's how they act when they're in a car and they feel safe. They cut people off and they throw you the finger and they get themselves all worked up. And you tell yourself, look, that guy's probably got a shitty life. Why do I need to get angry at him? He's already suffering. Look at him. He doesn't need any more from me. I don't need to take my revenge on him because then I'm just like him. 
Another thing we need to accept is just the sheer amount of people. You know, whenever I go on holiday, especially anywhere in Europe, I always wish the crowd was smaller, and I wish the queues were shorter. But what am I wishing for? There are 7 billion people on the planet and not that much habitable land. We're all packed together in cities. So there's going to be lots of traffic. There's going to be lots of queues. There's going to be a lot of fighting over resources and space. One of my biggest like failures to accept is finding a parking space whenever I drive into a city. I get anxiety as I drive into the city thinking, fuck, there's going to be no parking. And I'm almost never let down because there's almost never no parking. Though I always find a way to survive because I'm still here now, of course. But why on earth would I go into a city expecting there to be an abundance of parking? What a ridiculous thing to expect. Seven billion people, most of them crammed together in tiny spaces of land, and I think there's going to be plenty of parking? Who's the crazy one? would be better off going in, look, I'm going to drive into the city, and I'm probably going to drive around for like 45 minutes looking for even a square foot of concrete that I can jam a wheel onto and only get six tickets for. That's more likely. And I'm actually going to have less anxiety if I'm prepared for that. You know, if I leave an hour earlier just because I'm going to be driving around looking for parking for so long, then the trip includes driving around looking for parking rather than seeing it as this unforced additional extra task. Another thing you need to accept is that people disagree with each other a lot. And when they do agree with each other, it's often harmful. You get echo chambers or people forming into cliques and tribes that go to war with other cliques and tribes. But you have this idea of how the world should be and you constantly try to enforce that and convince others of it. And the most likely reaction you're going to get a lot of the time from people outside of your inner circle is resistance. And I can tell you with my job, like putting out podcasts like this and stuff, it's one of the things I've had to face and accept and kind of like in the school of hard knocks. I put out ideas that I think are well-researched, I think um, aligned with the latest in scientific findings, I think I'm logical and reasonable, and then I just get massive blowback of people who disagree with me. And who says they're wrong to disagree with me? Maybe I'm fucking full of shit. It's quite possible, I have a big ego. It's entirely possible that I've convinced myself of something that's not true. But isn't it interesting that I get frustrated with people disagreeing with me? I feel that heat of confrontation in my chest, rather than going, of course people are going to disagree with me. It'd be weird if they don't. In fact, if they don't, it means I've probably been too mild or shallow in my views. If you think people are going to agree with you, you're definitely set up for disappointment. If you expect them to disagree with you, you're much closer to reality. People disagree as a tendency. People are mostly anti-authority as long as the authority is from outside of their inner circle. Sometimes you can tell, you'll know it yourself. You'll tell someone some good advice, and they resist against it, even though they know it's good advice. Why would they do that? Because they have a tendency to resist. Even in the face of good rational advice, they emotionally don't want to be controlled. So they resist. Another classic one is the weather. It's funny how many people still complain about the weather. I don't even know why people bother to look at the weather reports. I mean, studies clearly show that about 10 days out from a weather report, there's no accuracy at all. And basically, as soon as the more minutes and hours that pass from the prediction, the less accurate it becomes. You know, I just came back from a honeymoon in the Maldives. Fancy, I know. And 
they predicted thunderstorms the entire time we were there and you know my wife just got really disappointed by that she was this is her dream to go to Maldives and she was gutted and what we really got was half a day of rain and the rest of the time was either cloudy or sunny so we were all set up we almost cancelled the fucking trip because of this weather report and it was totally inaccurate and even if it wasn't, we could make the time work. And that's eventually, I mean, essentially what got us to go on the trip, even though we thought it was going to be thunderstorms all time. Uh, it was partly because it was too fucking complicated to cancel it. But also we just talked about how we'll try to make the most of it, if, even if it's wet and rainy and shitty. Because you can, you can always make the most of it. You can still have quality time with people while you're being indoors. The weather is never going to be predictable because the variables are just so far beyond prediction. It's like when a baby bird is born and thinking you can map out everywhere it will fly for the rest of its life. You can't. You barely know what it's going to do for the next five minutes. No matter how much our technology advances in terms of meteorology and climatology and science, there are so many billions of variables in the weather that we'll just basically never have a computer that can do it. There's just too much chaos theory. There's too much butterfly effect. There's no computer that can predict accurately something with that many variables. So to even have plans that require a certain weather, you're just setting yourself up. Rather than being prepared for any weather, which is much more around acceptance, is understanding, especially as the climate changes over time, you know, weather's going to become much more erratic, there's going to be more storms and more unexpected natures during certain seasons. There'll be more rain in summer and more sun in winter. It's going to get crazy. So going out, assuming that will happen, taking a sunscreen and a jacket is much more about acceptance. I think another one we need to really accept is death. Isn't it amazing how poorly we accept death? And yet there's almost nothing else that we're certain of. We're not certain of anything except for death, really. Was it death and taxes? Everything dies, even mountains erode. And yet, we are crushed when the things we love die, aren't we? Crushed! I've seen people lose a pet, and it's like they lose a child. They're mourning for years afterwards. And there are people whose entire lives come to an end when someone they love dies for the rest of their life they're traumatized unable to function when their partner dies or their parents sister and i'm not undermining the pain of losing someone but there's grief and then there's the kind of insanity of prolonged grief there's grief like oh shit that person died now i really wish they hadn't i love them a lot and now we can't form any new memories together i need to process that and then there's the grief where like three years later you're still going into their room and looking through their diary and weeping. And you're still clinging on to the memory of who they were and sort of fighting against the fact that they're dead. And death takes other forms, like you can your career might be over because the industry shuts down because of some new technology or you can no longer play sports because of a certain injury. These other deaths of these dreams, of these fantasies of something continuing in the future, kept being absolutely shut down. You know, when someone dies, you cannot have any more time with them in the future. And when your career ends, you just cannot do that job anymore. And when you blow your knee out, you just can't be a pro footballer anymore. 
and we don't deal with that very well, us humans. There are some cultures who do. Interestingly, primitive cultures that experience more death, or third world cultures that experience more death, seem to process death a lot better than privileged and western cultures for whom death is quite rare, comparatively. But there are still others, even, you know, soldiers who go to war and see a lot of death, still heavily traumatised by it, or they become pseudo-psychopathic. They lose all their apathy and compassion because they can't just, they just can't handle the emotions of losing things. And yet, it's crazy because everything dies and we know that. We learn that at a very early age. Somewhere in the teenage years, I think most people kind of lose sight of the fact that, hey, I'm not immortal. You know, I, I maybe I will die. In fact, I'm going to. And so will my parents and my friends and my dog and everything. And yet we can't seem to kind of get on board with it. Death is just so traumatic for us. Everything dies sooner or later than you want it to. That person you hate lives a second thousand years. The person you love the most gets cancer even though they're super healthy. That's just life. That's how it is. Or at least that's how it looks when you focus on it that way. We often fail to focus on what's here and now. The people who are still alive and we can talk to them right here and now. There are people who are pining over someone who died five years ago and yet they could pick up the phone right now and call someone living whom they love. That's the insanity of prolonged grief. You're wishing for someone who doesn't exist, and in doing so, you're ignoring the people who do. People you love, and people who love you. Right here, right now, you don't know when they're going to go. But the one you're pining over is already dead. You're sure of it. It's like those people who, when their pet dies, they're like, oh, I could never get another dog. Really? Why not? That seems like the best possible option. Look, I'm certainly no expert in grief, not really, but it seems to me that there could be a choice between pining over what no longer exists and redirecting that energy, that loving energy, towards something that does. It's not going to undermine the relationship you had with the thing or the person who's passed away, but that relationship's over. You're thinking about a chapter that you've finished rather than reading the next chapter. Another thing we need to accept, nothing happens exactly to plan. I think it's Mike Tyson who said, no battle plan, no fight plan survives your first punch in the face. And there's a thing that plagued me for a lot of my life, I used to call it grace or smoothness, where I wanted things to go exactly the way they wanted to. And I'd be disappointed if they didn't, even if I got the result I wanted. If I didn't get it the way I thought I was supposed to get it, and it didn't go smoothly, I'd be upset. And yet, nothing I've ever planned has gone exactly the way I want it to, so why do I cling to such a concept? Why don't I accept the idea that it's going to be dirty and messy, and out of the ten steps I think are going to happen, maybe three of them will, and the other seven will be some wildcard bullshit, and that's okay, as long as I adapt to it and adjust to it. If anything, a plan is just a starting step. I'll try and do this thing, but it's probably not going to go like that. So, be prepared. Another classic one is that people don't think like you do. It's a really weird one, but it took me years to pick up on this. I got it from working with criminal offenders. It was quite early on in the career, I guess, but I was just struck by how differently they viewed the world to me. You have, like, I can't hurt other people willingly. It's very difficult for me to 
do violence or insult someone. I can't even yell at people. I'm really anti-harm. And yet these were people who fucking loved doing it, some of them. And they were just alien species to me at first. I'm like, I can't put myself in your shoes. I have no empathy for that way of thinking. I can't even imagine what it's like to want to hurt someone. You know, not really. Not the way they do. So that was the first time I really got a taste of like, the truth that people don't think the way I do, they don't believe what I believe in, they don't solve problems the way I solve them, they don't see connections that I see, and that people can be quite alien to me. I guess I'd always had this kind of base assumption deep down that everyone kind of thinks the same, and if someone chooses to do something bad, it's kind of like they know what's right, but they'll just choose wrong anyway. And what criminals taught me is actually, no, that's their version of right. Like, when someone steals a car, they're not like, oh, this is wrong to do, but I better do it, which is what I'd have to think to steal a car. They actually think, no, I deserve this car. The man held me down, and I'm entitled to this. You want people to think like you do, and then you get disappointed when they don't act the way you want them to act, because you think, well, they think like I do, so therefore they're deliberately kind of flouting me. They're choosing against what I think, rather than realizing they must think differently to you. They're doing what they think the right thing to do is. If you think it's the wrong thing to do, then the two of you think differently. And it doesn't mean that you're right, either. And this also applies to how you view yourself. I think self-acceptance is probably the one most people struggle with. And the form that this most often takes is the whole not good enough story. Which is essentially this inability for you to live up to your own standards. These impossible kind of standards that you set for yourself often so ill-defined that you couldn't even write them down. You don't even know what they are, you just know that you don't meet them. That you do not meet your own expectations of yourself. Or the expectations others have of yourself, except they're not saying it, it's just you talking to yourself. So it's just imagining what they think. Imagining what they expect. Acceptance would be, I am the way I am. I can improve on some stuff in the future, but that's not happening right now. I am this lazy, or I am this fat, or... I am this tired, or I am this confused, or whatever it is that I'm struggling with, that's who I am, that's, that's what I've got to deal with. And understand you've always been like that, you've always been doing your best. You ever realise that? You never consciously choose not to, do you? You never go, you know what, I'm going to tackle this situation as poorly as I possibly can. I know a better way of doing it, but now fuck that, I would definitely want to do it the shit way. You never do that. What you do is you try your best, and with the tools you've got, with the psychology you've got, with the experience and training and education you've got, you give it a go. And sometimes it goes really shitty, but that's because that's all you had in you. That was you with a full tank. There was nothing more you could have given. You were always doing your best. Now, your best can be improved with training and practice, but... Right here and now, your best is all you've got available to you. So any standard above that is a delusion. Any standard beyond what you're capable of doing is completely unreasonable, totally unfair, and actually just total horseshit. Now, if you can improve on your best effort, then do it. But if you can't, then that's it. That's your best effort. Now, in a way, you can always improve on it, but maybe not right now. Think of it like throwing a ball. If I go and throw a ball right now, that will be as far as I can throw it. 
Now maybe 10 years from now with the right training I could throw twice that distance, but I can't throw twice that distance today, here and now. What I can do is just try to throw it as far as I can. Then learn from that experience. How can I better move my arm or my hips to get more distance? How much more practice should I put in? Fine. But today that was a personal best. Even if I threw further yesterday than I did today, today is still my best. We often compare ourselves to some cherry-picked moment in our past where we did slightly better or perceive to ourselves to have done better. And then think, oh, I'm, I'm getting worse. So no, you were always trying your best. The variables are different today. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's your mood. Maybe it's your fatigue in your muscles. Maybe it's your ability to focus. For whatever reason, you have less resources today than you did yesterday if your performance is less. That's it. It's that simple. You're always doing the best you can. So if today's best is worse than yesterday's best, then you had better resources yesterday. Simple. There's no other explanation for it. Okay. Even if you tried harder yesterday, then that means you had more motivation yesterday. So yesterday you had an advantage that you don't have today. It's ludicrous to say you should be better than you are. It's like saying wood should be more woodier than it is. What? doesn't make sense. So lack of acceptance is essentially clinging to fantasies in the face of contradictory evidence. It's wanting something that isn't. Nearly everything is out of your control. Very few things are under your control. Maybe a bit of your behavior. That tiny little slice of the pie that you get to manage. That's yours. But everything else isn't. You can have slight influence on it, but if it decides to resist you, you basically can't do shit. Okay. But you can always imagine yourself doing otherwise, and that's where your suffering comes from. You imagine yourself having more control than you do. You imagine yourself doing better. You look at your past and you imagine a different past and then you compare the two imaginations together and you think one's better than the other even though both of them don't exist. But that's the, the downside I guess of having a human brain. You won't be able to stop yourself imagining differently. Imagining what isn't real. You just need to learn to see it as for what it is. It's imagination. It's fiction. You can imagine yourself earning more money while well, you can also imagine yourself growing wings. Right? You can imagine yourself being invisible. You can imagine yourself being able to lift a car over your head. None of it's true. None of it's going to happen. But what can you do right here, right now, with what you can control? You can always come back from imagination land. Right? You're not SpongeBob. You're not a fucking six-year-old anymore. Unless you're six and listening to an adult podcast for some reason. You can come back to reality and be a fucking adult. Go, okay, what's here, what's now, what can I control that's mine, my behavior? Because everything else, beyond me. And imagination is powerful. I know it can overwhelm you. It does it to me too. It swamps our minds until we can't sort of see anything else. But it doesn't matter how hard you imagine something, it doesn't affect reality. Reality doesn't give a fuck about your fantasies. You can fantasize all day long and reality's like, are you done yet? Because I'm going to do the other thing now. And the trouble is, all that time spent in imagination land is time not spent having the influence you can have. Which is far more productive. I mean, think about what's going to do more. Wishing you had a six-pack or 
Doing intermittent fasting now. Doing a workout now. Cutting dairy out of your diet now. Those are all things you can control. Having abs you can't control. Right? So what is acceptance? It's presence. It's here and now. Anything outside of that is not acceptance. Now it doesn't mean that it's always bad to be away from here and now. Mike uh, Wells, the other Brojo co-founder and I, we had a discussion about whether you can spend too much time being present. We came to the conclusion actually you can. Because there are certain times you need to be in the present and the past and the future. You need to go into the past when you're reflecting to learn from your mistakes and improve your behavior. You need to look carefully at what you did. There's a time and place for that. No regret, just measurement, assessment, learning. And there's a time to look to the future as well, to plan ahead so that you've got something to aim at, to call your shot so that you're not directionless and meaningless. To go for something. Now, you might not be able to get that something. You might not arrive at that destination. But aiming for it gives you a forward momentum that you can work with. But ultimately, unless you're planning or measuring, there's no reason to not be present. Anything outside of planning or measuring, future and past, is probably a lack of acceptance of the present. Acceptance is about letting go of control. Which basically means just realizing that you don't control things. There's nothing to let go of because you never controlled them anyway. It's easy to talk about what you can control, which is your own behavior. Well, most of your own behavior. Everything else is mostly controlled by other variables. Okay? Even someone close to you, who you love, has been more affected by the rest of their life and the rest of the world than they have been by you. Okay? Most of their development happened in utero. So the nine months they spent in the womb and the two, first two or three years of their life has like 70% of the impact on who they're going to be. So you can't even be more than 30% even if you spend the rest of your life with them. So controlling other people is simply out of the picture. You can have the illusion of control by temporarily manipulating people, but the fact is you're just patting yourself on the back for something you didn't even do. The fact that they could be manipulated is because of the variables that happened before you. All right? If they were exposed to a more confident upbringing, you would never be able to manipulate them anyway. So your influence isn't as big as you think it is. You can't control your career. You can't control the weather. You can't control other people. You can't control animals. You can't control whether or not your goals come true. But you can control your behavior here and now. So that's where you keep refocusing. Every time you drift away into a fantasy or regret or worry or disappointment, bring yourself back to doing something physically here and now that you can control. Something productive and good for you. You've got to do this constant readjustment for acceptance to keep checking in what you want and how closely that matches what you're actually getting. And keep adjusting what you want to what you get. I don't mean trying to lie to yourself and saying, oh, I want this when something bad happens to you. But just going, okay, what I wanted doesn't match reality, so now I've got to choose what I want based on this new reality. A classic example for me is pretty much any airport I go into ever disappoints me. Because airports are just scary, anxiety-ridden places for me because I've had a lot of bad experiences in them. So I go in there and I want it to go well. I want the tickets to go through no problem. I want my checked baggage to get checked in just fine. 
I want there to be access to drinking water. I want to not miss my flight. There's a lot of things I want going into an airport that are really far out of my control. And so when I get there, I have to go through this process consciously of going, okay, what's actually happening? All right, they're struggling with my visa again. Okay, so I wanted them to just breeze through customs, but it looks like I'm going to have to talk about my visa. So I just adjust. Okay, we're having a visa problem again. And I just let go of that thing I wanted, which was a smooth, easy ride through the airport, and just come back to reality and keep catching what I wanted and reining it in. Right? That's an act of acceptance. And make sure you react to, to the warning emotions in a healthy way. Disappointment, what did we have? We had disappointment, frustration, anger, regret, worry, anxiety, fantasizing, using languages like should and could and so on. Catch yourself and go, what's the healthy way to react to those? Because right now I must be thrashing in my chair, being dragged along behind the cart, wanting to be here when I'm actually there or so on. What is it? Wanting to be there when I'm here? Some fucking thing. Catching that feeling. And going, you know, this feeling tells me I'm out of alignment with reality. So what am I going to do about that? If I'm stressed, go do something relaxing. If I'm angry, do some deep breathing and find something creative to put that energy into. If I'm disappointed, just look at all the evidence and tell myself this is what's true. Let go of what you wanted. Whatever it is that works for you to get you back to here and now and what's yours. I hope you found that helpful. I'm talking to you as a fellow sufferer. Like I said, acceptance is the value I struggle with probably the most. So partly I do this podcast to talk to myself and try and help myself with it. If you want to do more work on this and you're not already a Brojo member, please join up. It's free. www.brojo.org join. There'll be a link below in the show notes. And of course, get in touch if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that. Dan at brojo.org. I'll see you guys next time. Cheers.